Did they ever shoot a herring out of a cannon? <laughs> Only once. <laughs> into a tree. <laughs> After that, no other herring would do it. Oh. <laughs> Chris Gowser here with Matt Howell. On this episode of The First Star, Matt and I have discussed the latest from the director of I guess what, Matt? My favorite film of the 21st century. PTA, PTA. I wanted to say P.T. Anderson, but I tripped right up as I was saying it because I am a professional. He returns with licorice pizza. Look, I still, I can't say it. Licorice. Licorice. It's my speech licorice. impediment comes out. Licorice. 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 The movie Sibilance. from Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> It's coming out. It's a coming of age story set in the early '70s in LA. A little slice of life film that's received some heat, Matt, in the online discourse regarding the purposeful age gap of our stars. What's up with that? And that's going to be onto the latest film from Matthew Vaughn as he continues his expansion of the Kingsman franchise with an origin story this time, the King's Man. How did the super duper private British intelligence agency come about? And does anyone else find it weird watching M kick butt as a secret agent? There's the completely enrapturing, Matt, rundown of the big releases on physical media featuring your streaming and straight-to-DVD picks of the week. And then finally, Matty and I are going to close out the show with another round of Call It featuring, well, this time, Chris Hemsworth, Brian Mills, Sidney Prescott, The Blair Witch, and more. But let's start everything off with a clip from Lic- Licorice, Licorice Pizza. <laughs> if I asked for your phone number, would you give it to me? Why should I give you my phone number? So I can call you? I don't know, Gary. Why not? How are you going to remember it? It's only seven numbers. Seven five eight four six eight six. Seven five six four six eight six. Seven five eight four six eight six. All right, Don Rickles. Don't call me all the time, okay? We're not boyfriend and girlfriend. Remember that. Matt reminds me the first time you and I hung out. And I was like, hey, can I give you a call? Let's, we should hang out. I think we'd be friends. You're like, don't call me all the time, all right? Yeah. Keep it chill. Keep it chill. <laughs> so why don't you tell the fine folks there listening to this, probably the best, longest-running film podcast that nobody's ever heard of. What is Licorice Pizza all about? Well, it's 1973 in the San Fernando Valley of California. Young Gary Valentine is a a child star and at his, uh, well, I wouldn't say child star, maybe more child actor, works in the business and he comes into contact with a young woman named Alana, uh, played by Alana Haim, who's taking pictures and he decides to ask her out. And she declines, but she also is kind of enamored with him insofar as she wants to start hanging out with him. And it's basically, the rest of it is just like how their friendship and relationship uh, progresses. There you go. So, Matt, Paul Thomas Anderson, I think, is, it's fair to say, 
safe to say, I think he's probably one of my favorite working directors. Can I say that for you as well? Can I speak for you on that? Uh, I don't think that's true. I mean, I think, I don't know. I, I don't No, I would say that's not true. No. Wow. All right, then. Jeez. <laughs> and I think I'm clearly on the record that There Will Be Blood is the best film of the 21st century so far. That is, of course, my humble opinion. But that's Sure. You are known for your humble opinions. That's for sure. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> so for me, PTA is still an event thing for me. Like Nolan used to be. Sorry, Chris. But uh, PTA still is. So what are your thoughts on Licorice Pizza, Matt? Is it another, I guess maybe it wouldn't be for you, an event film like, oh, wow, I have to see the latest PTA film. How does this hold up against the rest of his rest of his over? I mean, Hard Eight, Boogie Nights, Magnolia, Punch Truck Club, There Will Be Blood, The Master, Inherent Vice, Phantom Thread, and now Licorice. I don't think he's made a bad film yet. He's had a couple, maybe he's had like a big mess, which I think is Inherent Vice, which is a film I still enjoy, mm-hmm. but is just a cluttered mess of a film. Where does Licorice Pizza fall for you? Is this another big uh, hit for PTA? Um, I don't know. So I kind of, this is a much smaller film. It's a film really mm-hmm. about, um, relationships. Um, it's got a kind of an easy going, um, very time period vibe of the seventies kind of thing. It kind of reminds me of a PT ver- PT Anderson version of like dazed and confused meshed with yeah. almost famous. And that's kind of what you get with this. Um, and, and to be fair, I really enjoyed both of those films I'm comparing it to, and I like this well enough. I don't think it's any kind of earth-shattering thing, and I think if this was it released in any other more solid or more normal movie year, this would probably be like a kind of slight um, confection that is nice, but probably goes unnoticed. Whereas here, I think because of what 2021 has carried over from 2020, um, you know, it's it's good. I just don't think it's great, necessarily. I I think I actually agree with you. I think the film, it's it's charming at times. It's sweet. I think it actually has a nice fluid kind of feel to it, right? It just kind of glides along. I think it's entirely free of the, I guess, of the pretense and the heaviness of some of his earlier works, particularly like Phantom Thread, which can at, at times be a very dour film. And But I think it's, it's the... It's the kind of the most assured, kind of easygoing, I think, out of any film he's made so far. But I will say, too, it's the first time I haven't connected with one of his films. I mean, I really felt removed from this the entire time, while his previous films always had a way of kind of bringing me in and kind of capturing my attention. This one really didn't. And I'm not sure why that is exactly. I think there's a lot of things that I enjoyed about it. But I was never fully engrossed by it. Do you have any idea why that could have been? I'm assuming maybe that was... He sounds like he may have had a similar experience. Yeah, I think... So, if this harkens back to any of his movies for me, it's Boogie Nights. And that's... And because... But it's lacking the kind of absurdity of Boogie Nights. It's act, And it's, it's lacking a lot of the stakes. There's really no stakes in this movie, right? So, mm-hmm. all of his other ones... All of his other films you know, to varying degrees have some real stakes associated with them, whether they're just like, you know, absurd situations like uh, Mark Wahlberg finds himself in Boogie Nights or stuff that's, you know, very deadly serious, like in There Will Be Blood. But in this, there's, and I can't speak to Punch Rock Love because I've actually never seen it. Um, In this, it's just kind of like this, 
airy thing. It's like these two young people that kind of um, float through life in this orbit around each other. And there are a few maybe trying moments in their relationship and there are some funny things that happen, but there's nothing, anything that's really, that really feels like it has a, it's of any consequence really. And it seems like as soon as this movie is over, it wouldn't be surprising to me if they stopped talking to each other. And it was just like, they were a fond memory to each other's lives and that's it. And I, I think that's okay. But I think if you're going in expecting something earth shattering, you're just not going to get it. You know, I think that's interesting. Now, I had the same experience, but I don't, I think that's entirely purposeful. I think he's making just one of these slice of life, you know, like a, a summer experience between these two people. Though I will say, contextually, I had a real difficult time figuring out, well, time in this mm. film. At times it felt like everything took place in the, you know, over like a weekend. Right. Other times it felt like it was like a, a year. I really had no idea uh, where we were temporarily in this film, but, um, it's the whole film feels more like a memory shared between friends. Like you're relaying a story about mm. something from your past to somebody than it does like a literal depiction of events that occurred. All right. And I think the film feels, I think like it has real stakes at times, but our movement through the film always feels very slight and unimportant. Mm-hmm. That uh, that in the end, it's just like you said. It may be kind of a forgettable experience for the audience member, while some of those other films, one like I would think Boogie Nights, which I think is fantastic, mm-hmm. but there will be blood and some other stuff. The Master are things that kind of stay with you and and, and demand that you compre- you know take some time contemplating what the films are and what they're about. Well, this is much more of a PTA is kind of you know leaning back in his Barca lounger recalling a story telling his kids about this time he 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 got some action with a girl about eight years his senior (laughs) so uh yeah i interesting so i think he's successful in what he's trying to do but i i just don't know if it's a detriment to the film or just didn't work for me i don't think it's necessarily a detriment to a film and i i want to clarify i completely believe this is intentional and this is the type of movie that he set out to make whereas i just don't think it's like you said, it's for me. And it's not, if you're kind of going and expecting what he's given you in the past to a certain extent, you're not really going to get that here. And honestly, while you were talking, it almost seems like PT Anderson sat down with like Wes Anderson and he just like took one of Wes Anderson's ideas and made it his own kind of thing and just kind of removed a lot of the absurdity. And that's what you're kind of left with. That's interesting. Huh? All right, so let me ask you there about the uproar on the internet communities about the There's age so many. There's so many. The <laughs> That's true. It's hard to keep track. So, uh, yeah, so she's, what, 24? 20, she's 25. He's 15. Yeah. yeah. So the way – well, let me get – let me start with your thoughts. What are your thoughts about that age difference? Was it weird at all? Did it give you the skeebie-geebies to make you upset? What, what, what were your thoughts? Um, it didn't make me upset – um, I did think it was a little weird when they kind of brought it up in the beginning, but unless I completely am misremembering, I don't think really anything particularly um, sexual or untoward happens. It really kind of seems like you have this kid who is has an intense crush on this woman, 
And against her better judgment, she's hanging out with this kid because it's kind of fun and she's kind of lost and drifting. And um, she knows it can't go any further. And it, it, so it doesn't really seem that weird to me. I don't know. I mean, what about to you? Yeah, I think that's accurate. And you're right. Nothing overtly happens between them physically. Mm. I think it's just an oddball relationship that they both find a connection with each other, which is weird because they're such different people too, right? So Hoffman's character, Jerry is, or excuse me, Gary, is just kind of, I don't know, what would you say? He's like a 15-year-old used car salesman, right? He's getting by on his wits, on his talents. And she is this dreamer who's kind of floating through life, not sure who she is and what she wants to be. And they just kind of have this moment of connection, which I guess I can't hold an age gap between people like Mm -hmm. that. I mean, you connect with people on certain things and certain times in your life for various reasons. So who knows? But I feel like he does handle it well. All right. It's the age difference between them. I think it I think he handles it well. Contextually with the film, it's not important and he mm-hmm. never sexualizes really the relationship. There's moments of jealousy, and then there's the concluding scene. But in the end, it it's there's no kind of romantic or lust thing behind it. I feel it's more just an outpouring of genuine emotion that could just be friendship. Right. So I don't know. I I think it's some. I think in regards to like film Twitter and the internet's. I think it's just we are all in a highly aggravated, sensitive state. Everybody's very raw. And I th- sometimes think that we're looking into things and looking for things that may necessarily not be there. On a surface level, if you don't watch the film and you just read about it, you may be like, what the F? <laughs> but when you watch the film itself, I think it mostly works. It's a little odd in the beginning, but it's okay. I mean, would it be more odd if the if the roles were reversed, like if he was a 25 year old guy hanging out with a 15 year old girl that had a crush on him very obviously. Absolutely. Which I think talks to speaks to some inherent bias in me, right? Mm -hmm. That I'm more okay with this because I feel with her having the power dynamic in that relationship, in that capacity, then yeah. And I think it's a bias though. I think what Matt just, instilled from just the general patriarchal society with men being the dominant thing and then taking advantage of younger, more naive mm-hmm. women. Right. And there's a, there's a history. That's just the way things are, the way things have been. So I think it's fair to me to have that opinion, but I don't know. Yeah. What you think. I don't know if I agree. I mean, I think it's fair to kind of go to that initial assessment. And I think honestly, if you're just taking it on its surface level, it does seem a little weird. And like what I first started watching this film when she said how old she was, I was like, Oh wow. I didn't realize this was going to be like, I thought she was going to be a senior in high school and he was going to be like a, you know, a freshman or something, you know, more of a Romeo Uh, Juliet thing. Yeah. So like I, yeah. So that did take me off guard. I think, I think honestly, if you're going to say, if you're going to take it on its own merits and you're going to just say that the story is, is as it presents itself, I do think it would be weird but if I'm giving it the benefit of the doubt, it's the story's presented the same way with maybe some alterations of some things that happen in it. I think ultimately it would be all right for the most part, I guess. But, you know, again, it's just it's just strange. I think we just kind of cut it some slack. So maybe they are right to criticize it, but maybe not as much as they are. Am I misremembering now? I'm not this old. I wasn't alive <laughs> when the film takes place. Sure. But 
relationships have, would we have looked as as scant to that kind of relationship back then in that time? Probably as not. As we do now? Probably not. And I think even to be fair, I mean, even, you know, we're more forgiving if the woman is older than the guy now. I think that's still yeah. true now. But I mean, that's even true. I mean, I'll, I'll give you some Howell history scandal. I mean, my grandmother was 16 when she married my grandfather who was 21. Now that would be like Chris Hansen stuff. But like, you know, then in the the twenties, I mean, that was completely fine kind of thing, you know? So I think it is to an extent changing. And then to even reference something, another piece of pop culture that takes place in the seventies, Matthew McConaughey's character is implied to be, you know, a sexual predator and it's played for laughs. And like, nobody, nobody talks about that really is like a a problematic thing or even like a film that I really like almost famous where they take this 14 year old kid, literally deflower him um, with a bunch of, you know, women in their twenties and thirties. And that hasn't caused a huge uproar or canceled a film or anything. So I don't know guys, if this really bothers you, don't watch Harold and Maude. Yeah. It's going to say, exactly. Uh, interesting. Man, I don't know. Okay. A couple of things I want to talk about. I had some real problems, too, with Anderson makes a decision. And I wouldn't... I'd probably cut it more slack, except for the fact that he doesn't have a big record of hiring minorities in his cast. Mm-hmm. But when he has that moment with um, John Michael Higgins mm-hmm. as the tour, Yeah who talks to his wives who are basically right. just Asian immigrant women, but he yeah, the does Japanese, the really, yeah. the, the really bad stereotypical voice to connect yeah. with them. Yeah. That's a decision I don't quite understand. Yeah. I don't really get it either. I mean, I can see where the joke to me seems to be more on the Higgins character that he's so, you know, he's this kind of fake person who's supposed to be steeped in this culture. And this is what he's, how he thinks it's okay to treat people. Like, I don't know if yeah. it's, that's where the joke is. And maybe it's a kind of a reference back again. I was not alive during this time frame, So I don't really know how it would be, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's the only thing I can figure. I didn't, I didn't get offended at it. I just thought that was a weird choice and <laughs> I can see why he did it for the sense of, I guess he's making fun of the Higgins character. But I just think, yeah, it was an interesting choice to to do. Um, I think he's clearly making fun of Higgins's character, Jerry yeah, Frick. Yeah. But I think it's just a badly done joke. It just there's no, I don't think there's any reason for it. It doesn't really do anything to move the plot forward, obviously, at all. No, just, no, well, no. I mean, it's again, it's just like there are parts in this film where there's lots of things that don't move the plot forward. It's just true. they're just but there they're to be, yeah, just to be. No, well, just to be. <laughs> A joke, and I guess this is just a bad joke on P.T. Anderson's part. Um, I don't know. But, I mean, he kind of redeems himself when uh, Bradley Cooper comes around. He's pretty funny. Yeah, I, Cooper shows up as John Peters, the real-life yeah. John Peters. So that was that was a fun sequence, absolutely. And I do want to praise Alana Haim as Alana Kane mm-hmm. in this film. I thought she was really good. In fact, her whole family shows up. Both of her sisters play her sisters, and her parents play her parents. Oh, really? So uh, that was kind of fun to see. Cooper Hoffman, who plays our other lead, Gary Valentine. Matt, I'm on the fence, and I think it's my own personal bias in regards to legacy stars. It's really starting to bother me when all these people show up. Like the the Quaid kid who's in the uh, Prime superhero show. What the hell is that thing called? Oh, The Boys? Yeah. Yeah. That's Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan's kid. 
Mm-hmm. But, know, I right, like, Willie, but I like him in that. I think he's pretty good in that. Willie Collins. Yeah. Phil Collins' daughter. Right. I mean, you look all over it. There are legacy stars all over Hollywood. And right. I, part of me is just like, come on, let's let's meet some new people. So, but I will say, I think Cooper Hoffman is quite good in this. I think he's fine. Uh, I think I'm more just, it's probably my own, you know, old man, get off my lawn type stuff <laughs> where I'm just kind of tired of seeing all of these people show up in these films. But I can't really fault his performance. Like you said, Bradley Cooper was a lot of fun. Sean Penn, who I still have issues with, obviously, uh, has an interesting role in here playing just kind of this sleazy version of uh, a older, perhaps fading film star. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Tom Waits pops up as well. Benny Safdie, I think, has a, an interesting role. And, of course, The Waitress is in this one, too, for It's Always Sunny fans. Yeah. I was fun to see her. I think overall the cast is uniformly good and solid, particularly I want to praise Alana Haim. I think she's really great. What did you think about everybody? Yeah, I thought it was all pretty good. Um, yeah, I knew that was the Haim sisters. I didn't realize that was her parents as well. Um, yeah. They have a pretty good band. I like their band. Yeah, I thought everybody was pretty good. Nothing really stand out. Again, I didn't think mm-hmm. any of these performances really blew me away. As far as the nepotism in Hollywood thing, it's always been like that. I mean, yeah. you know, and it's it's a kind of a family business sort of thing. And the sad fact is, is that it's really hard to be a great actor, but it's pretty easy to be a competent actor. And if you have like, especially if you have parents who are competent to great actors, they can at least tell you what you need to do for your whole life. So and I mean, open some doors for you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's been that way forever. I mean, look, what? Yeah, we could go on and on and on. Look at Jamie Lee Curtis. Do you think she gets in the door if she's not who she, if her parents aren't who they are kind of thing? Yeah. No. So, you know, it is what it is. I mean, it's it's always going to be that way. At least it's not as bad as like the son or daughter of like a musician making having a band because those never live up to the way it used to be kind of thing. Wow. Jacob Dylan is going to be very, very upset with you. Very you know, he can, it's okay. That's okay. Even, you know, Wolfgang Van Halen, he can also be mad at me if he wants to be. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> I guess it's true, really, among uh, across all careers in some capacity, too, right. if we're honest. So. Yeah, it is true. And schools, universities. Yeah. All right. And happy to see Maya Rudolph, as always, because, of course, she not that she's not talented, but she's married to P.T.A. Anderson, so mm-hmm. she always shows up. And, of course, living legend that is John C. Riley does have a quick little cameo in this. Good times, Matt. I ended up giving Licorice Pizza a B. Chris, I, it's worlds apart as usual it's nice that we agree sometimes i gave it a b as well (laughs) yeah good old pta good old b solid b Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which i think for me is underwhelming it's a disappointment for me well considering his his, the kind of body of his work yeah i would say it's a bit of a disappointment but you know they can't all be winners chris there's always a few dips on everybody's filmography Fair. You got to check out uh, Punch Drunk Love, too. That is mm. really good. It's the first time I saw Sandler, and I'm like, holy cow, this guy can actually act. Yeah. He's very good in that film. Okay. You've got a chance to see Licorice Pizza, which is available in theaters now. Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. Matt, coming up on Physical Media this upcoming Tuesday. One of your favorite films of the year? I'm not sure. Well, we have to be doing that countdown soon. But uh, I know Matt was looking forward to it, that's for sure. Our warriors couldn't free Arrakis from the Harkonnens. But one day, by Imperial decree, they were gone.
Why did the Emperor choose this path? And who will our next oppressors be? Of course, that is Zendaya and Denis Villeneuve's Dune getting released this upcoming Tuesday, January 11th. Happy New Year, everybody. You get it from Best Buy. You get a steel book. You get it from Target. They have some exclusive packaging that I couldn't really make heads or tails of. And then Walmart, this is what upsets me, Matt, because I would buy this version if it was in 4K. Their Blu-ray has the, the case for the disc is that hand box torture thing. Oh, that's pretty cool. And uh, I'm not about to buy it twice, though, just to put my UHD inside the Blu-ray case. That's just not right. going to happen. No. So, because I definitely want to get this thing in uh, 4K, which includes a, a Dolby Vision HDR presentation as an old Atmos soundtrack and 13 featurettes on the making of that film. Also coming out, Matt, is a film you and I actually seem to like a lot more than the regular uh, film folks out there. Halloween Kills is being released. It includes an extended cut of the film, uh, gag reel, deleted and extended scenes, and some making of featurettes. You get it from Best Buy. You get a pretty cool looking steel book as well, though I'm not a steelbook guy, so I will not be getting that. Includes a commentary with David Gordon Green and Jamie Lee Curtis and Judy Greer as well. Uh, what else we got? Matt Spencer, I which I saw. We didn't end up doing it for the show. Who knows if we will at some point. This is from uh, Pablo Laurent, who did Jackie, a fantastic film with Natalie Portman. This time he uh, covers Diana um, in Spencer. It includes a making of featurette. Matt, it's it's weird. I think it's good, but I think it actually ends up making her... It tries to elevate her above kind of the, I don't know, taking advantage of kind of victim of the royal family into a fully-fledged kind of person, but ends up kind of falling victim to the same thing and doing the same thing to her with the film, unfortunately. So, I don't know. I think it's worth checking out. I'd probably give it a B- minus if I were to grade it. Uh, what else coming up? Fran Kranz is Mass, featuring Jason Isaacs, Martha Plimpton, Reed Burney, and Anne Dowd about the aftermath of a violent tragedy that affects the lives of two couples in very different ways. This is supposed to be pretty good as well. Uh, I'm Your Man is being released in order to obtain research funds for her studies. A scientist accepts an offer to participate in an extraordinary experiment, Matt. For three weeks, she used to live with a humanoid robot created to make her happy. Michael Shannon stars in Heart of Champions. During the last year in Ivy League College in 1999, a group of friends and crew teammates' lives are changed forever when an Army vet takes over as their coach for their dysfunctional rowing team. New to Blu-ray, Criterion is releasing The Celebration. At Helga's 60th birthday party, some unpleasant family truths are revealed. Brand new 2K restoration of that one, approved by the director, Thomas Vinterberg. Audio commentary from 2005, a new interview with Vinterberg. Two short films by the director, The Last Round from 93 and The Boy Who Walked Backwards from 95, as well as a 2002 documentary and more. Shout Factor is releasing a Timothy Hutton vehicle, The Temp. Includes uh, new interviews with the cast and crew. They're also releasing Whispers in the Dark, featuring Annabelle Sciorra. Code Red is releasing Maria's Lovers. Scorpion is releasing Dario Gento's The Card Player, featuring an audio commentary with some critics and some new interviews. Scorpion is also releasing The Mafu Cage, also known as Don't Ring the Doorbell, the brand new fully uncut remaster. 
including audio commentaries. This film that features Lee Grant and Carol Kane as sisters locked in a bizarre relationship in the cult horror film. Uh, after their primatologist father dies in Africa, Ellen is forced to care for her disturbed younger sister, Sissy. Kino is releasing a bunch of stuff. The Pink Jungle, featuring James Garner, Eva Renzi, and George Kennedy, gets a 2K restoration. The Seventh Dawn, a 2K master on that one from William Holden and Susanna York. Journey to Shiloh, featuring James Kahn, gets a 2K restoration and a new audio commentary. Also coming out as Laughing Heirs. And then a couple Burt Reynolds movies, Matt. Breaking In and Impasse, both get 2K restorations. Your straight-to-DVD pick of the week, though, Matt, I'm going to go with... I've got five on it, three. So I didn't realize there were three movies now based on that classic uh, hip-hop song, I've Got Five on it. This one features Todd Bridges and uh, continuing the hysterical misadventures of Barney Bumble and his homies. While Barney's away at seminary school, Oscar and Jimmy run his dispensary. Meanwhile, Barney's bitter enemies are released from prison and looking for payback. Matt, what should we be streaming this week? So I'm going to recommend on Disney Plus uh, The Jungle Cruise. I finally got a chance to catch up with it, and it's not a bad little holiday film or family film. It's a, it's a pretty good time. I have not seen that yet. Is it on Disney Plus? Is that what you said? Yeah, it is. All right. Maybe I'll have time to check it out. I finished Hawkeye. I rather enjoyed it. I mm-hmm. thought it was a fun show. I started at Boba Fett. I watched the first episode, and I am... Deeply underwhelmed. Right. And uh, the second episode dropped uh, today as we record this episode. Have you watched The Book of Boba Fett yet? I watched the first one. Um, haven't Obviously, haven't watched the second one yet. I wasn't super impressed with the first one. But at this point, I know enough to give these things time to kind of breathe. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see how it turns out. All right, folks. Let's keep rolling then. And spend a few minutes to talk about Matthew Vaughn's The King's Man. You know, Conrad... Our ancestors, they were terrible people. They robbed, lied, pillaged, and killed until one day they found themselves noblemen. But that nobility, it never came from chivalry. It came from being tough and ruthless. Back then, to be called a gentleman would have been a death sentence, not the mark of honor It is today. We are Oxfords, not rogues. Matt, it's 1914. The world is on the brink of the Great War. Ray Fiennes plays a former military kind of fixer, sacred agent guy. He's retired after the death of his wife to raise his son. But unfortunately, he gets dragged back in to the conflict to try and prevent World War I. Obviously, unfortunately, things don't exactly work out that way. But Matt, this is the origin of the Kingsman Individual Private Secret Service Agency, how they came to be. So we've had two, I think, relatively successful films. I've enjoyed both of the films, though they're not great, but I think they're fun. So Matthew Vaughn then goes in the past to show us how things came to be. Matt, was this a ride worth taking? Was it fun to see the uh, origins of the Kingsmen? Or we should have stuck with a traditional sequel to make a third film? What do you think? Honestly, I would have made a third film. I think the big problem with this is that it's lacking 
really a lot of the absurdity of the original King's films, Kingsman films that made them kind of fun. Um, there's a lot of ridiculousness in those, um, whether that's plot points or action or the way people act, whereas this is much more deadly serious um more more dour um except for some of the stuff with rasputin it's not really it doesn't really have that kind of sense of fun and funniness that the original films had yeah i think it's i thought it was a reasonably entertaining actioner but i think matt this goes into our catalog of dadtainment Mm. uh it, it attempts i think to ramp up the stakes a bit with a moment i confess i didn't see coming Though, in hindsight, I think the film is building up to it from the very beginning of the movie. Right. Okay. Our big emotional turn. But I think the fault is that it doesn't have the impact I think Vaughn is going for. Granted, it's the catalyst for the film's conclusion. It's it's our driving force for uh, uh, Ray Fiennes' character to take the actions that he does. But it felt more like a device to me than a truly emotional kind of life-changing moment. I mean, it's just a turn of a key and a lock. That's really all it is. It didn't have any real emotional impact to me. And for me, what you think I think is funny is that I think it's maybe undercut by Vaughn's attempt to make the film fun. I think it does still have some outrageous moments. Uh, but as an action comedy, I think it misses the mark and is undermined by those attempts. So maybe the issue is... The stuff I found to try and make funny just wasn't that fun or outrageous as maybe the stuff was in the previous two films. Is that was that where you kind of come down? Where there's failed attempts, or you just didn't really see any of that at all? It's both. I mean, I don't think there's enough of it, and what is there is not particularly amusing. Fair enough. Yeah, I don't think it really adds anything new, not just to the genre, but to the franchise. It feels, I think I've used this term before with something else. I can't remember what film we're talking about, but it feels kind of like DLC, Mm. you know, like an (laughs) add-on to the franchise, more so than a really strong standalone entry. It's fine, kind of serviceable Sunday afternoon viewing if it's raining out, you know, I think maybe. But outside of that, I don't really see much here to justify the film's existence. It tries to play on certain historical events like... He, they're involved with the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand, you know, which mm. of course is what started World War One, and it kind of dances through these different moments in history, like of course with the inclusion of Rasputin as well, and really just I said how World War One kind of came to start, but it's just it's not, it's just not terribly entertaining, I think, which is I think really the cardinal sin for uh, this type of film. Yeah, I agree. I mean. In- if you're going to make an action movie, it should be exciting. It should be fun to watch. And I just, it shouldn't be a slog. And unfortunately, this film is uh, crossing no man's land throughout the whole thing. Not very exciting at all. I will say I would be interested in seeing another film in this series, but they need to go all out. Mm. Now, like Mike issues with that Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance film, that sequel. Yeah. Right? Because I... Do not like that first movie. No. But they somehow, it did well enough for them to get the money together to make a sequel. And if they're going to do it, they should have gone all in. Mm-hmm. You know, just pulp, you know, grindhouse level horror, guts, you know, just everything. And the way this film ends, I don't know if you stuck around for the, what is it, post or mid credit sequence? Mm-mm, I didn't. When, when Lennon gets introduced to Hitler. <laughs> uh, I want to see that. But I want to see Vaughn go nuts with that. Or okay. maybe some other director make like a grindhouse version of The Kingsman where it's just 
almost like an exploitation film. Okay. I wouldn't be interested in seeing that. But outside of that, I don't know if I even want to, if I have an interest in seeing another Kingsman film. I, Taron Egerton, I think, was fine. I think it was, those are entertaining films. So maybe it's an interesting story with a new cool villain. Okay. I, I, I don't know. It was just, overall, it was just a disappointment for me. Not that I was expecting a lot out of this, but uh, yeah, it's, yeah, I don't know, Matt. I, I don't even have much more to say. It's really that kind of serviceable and forgettable. I'm giving it a C, and I think maybe I'm even being a little generous. Yeah, I'd say you're being a little generous. A little generous. I gave it a C-. minus. I think it's it's an instantly forgettable film, and um, not that I think that the franchise is great, it's obvious, but it's the weakest by far in the franchise. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I like too. I don't remember the trailers how they're so desperate to hide who the villain was every right. time. Yeah, and then when you get the finally do get the reveal, that's kind of like yeah. Well, of course that that's who it is. It's kind of <laughs> who we thought it was the whole time. <laughs> Though I do like that actor generally, and he uh, see I don't want to say it because I don't want to spoil it. Not that it matters, but he was in a really good movie from about five six years ago. Um, I'll say with what won't be too much of a giveaway. I'll say Nicole Kidman. Is that too much of a giveaway? That's very good. Underseen. You should definitely go see that movie or check it out. Absolutely. But this, yeah, no. Moving on, folks. Kingsman, have you seen it? Great, I guess. Good for you. <laughs> I hope you weren't too upset. Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts, I guess. I don't, you know, don't even bother. I don't know if I want to spend any more time thinking or talking about the Kingsman at all. So they didn't hate it, but it's just not, it's not worth further conversation matt let's do call it now originally we were supposed to begin our top 50 right our 50 favorite films you wouldn't be to kind of show what the show is about and who we are and then we realized matt we are on the edge the precipice of 600 episodes so i thought let's pocket that mm. and count down to episode 600 for that i think that makes a lot of sense so we brought back call it just for you one time only, though we'll probably do it again in a month, month and a half. <laughs> but uh, here is the return of Call It. Enjoy. We landed the whale. Oh, yeah? Extraction. Indian kid. Drug lord's son. Rival gangster is holding this kid in Dhaka. Hey, Gaspar lives in Dhaka. Gaspar's out of the game. Clock's running at 16 hours deadline Friday noon. Proof of life as of six hours ago. Yeah, I'll take it. <clears throat> this gangster, Amir Osef, he holds a massive sway in Dhaka. You get your hands on this kid, it's gonna get complicated. That's always fucking complicated, isn't it? Man, that's badass. <laughs> of course, that's Chris Hemsworth in Extraction. I just saw it today, Matt. They are filming Extraction 2 right now. We are getting a second Extraction movie. I know you were worried about that the other week when it came up. So I think we talked about it back then. But I'm going to throw a couple at you. What franchise, I can't use that word, Would you do you want to see more of? If you had to choose Extraction or Red Notice, which would you go with? Uh, remind me what happens in Red Notice. That's the uh, Gal Gadot. Ryan oh, Reynolds' right. rock movie. Yeah, right, 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 right. 
right, 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 right. Um, that I, that is an indictment on Red Nose. <laughs> yeah, like three weeks ago. that I completely blocked it out until you reminded <laughs> me who was in it. Um, I guess I would rather, as much as I enjoy Ryan Reynolds, and I think this maybe have more to do with how underwhelmed by Dwayne Johnson and and Gal Gadot that I am. I guess I'd have to say more Extraction. I think at least Extraction had some interesting action sequences in it where I can't even say that about Red Notice. All right. What about Red Notice is out. Six Underground is in. The other Ryan Reynolds action film, which I barely remember at all. Yeah. I remember that's watching That's a Michael it. Bay film. I remember watching it, but I, don't, I guess I'd still have to go with Extraction because, again, at least I remember parts of Extraction as opposed to Six Underground. All right, I got one more action Netflix film for you that okay. may tip the scale. You ready? Army of the Dead. Zack Snyder. Jeez. Mm. Um, Army of the Dead, I guess. I, just because it has more potential, even though I hate Zack Snyder. Yeah, I think I would end up, out of all of those, I would land on Army of the Dead as well. Yeah. What about the, what was the Charlize Theron Immortal Warrior one? Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I completely forgot the name of that, too. Um, so between that and Army of the Dead? Sure. I think I'd still go with Army of the Dead. I think so. I think I would, too. Yeah. Zombies usually win the day with me. It does, yeah. All right, what do you got? Sorry there, Netflix fans or Extraction <laughs> fans. You held that a long time. We did. You made it pretty far. Um, all right. Call it. Which would you rather have? Toby, Raimi, Spider-Man 4, or Garfield, Amazing Spider-Man 3? Oh, Raimi, Spider-Man 4. All right. Explain yourself. I I just, I think the Garfield films are are okay. And I don't think Amazing Spider-Man 2 is as bad as some people say it is. I Mm -hmm. think I may even like it better than Spider-Man 3. Um, But, I don't know. I just, Sam Raimi's visuals. The fact that he's able to work horror even into those Spider-Man films. That Doc Ock surgery scene is still terrifying, really. And he shoots it like a horror film. And I'm a Raimi guy at heart. So, I I mean, Webb's fine. But I just... And, and I think maybe maybe even interesting, too, is that Garfield also had that whole spy mystery aspect mm-hmm. to it with his right. dad that they yeah. were just starting to get into. Yeah. So that may be interesting to explore. But in the end... I don't know. I think I got to go with my boy Sam Raimi and what he would have done next, especially if he was given more control instead of being saddled with Eddie Brock and Venom being told you have to work this character in. Right. So, yeah. What about you? If you'd asked me before No Way Home, I would have said Toby Spider-Man. But after watching No Way Home, I think I would like to see some amazing Spider-Man three. I'd like to see Garfield's take on the character, maybe even without Mark Webb. I don't think it's necessarily saying that you have to bring back the same director. Um, But, you know, I think I'd like to see Garfield take another crack at the character. I admit, I think after watching uh, No Way Home out of the two of them, I was more interested. I think Garfield Spider-Man was, more fun and interesting a character than mm-hmm. Maguire's was. I think yeah. that's fair. Because we'll also, if, it's, if we're going to be fair, the idea, 
that uh, Toby doesn't have the same redemption moment that Garfield's does. True. You know, so that's probably why. Fair enough. All right. Let me see here, Matt. Now, I'm trying to go back and forth on this. I have one big one and then one small one. Okay. So do you want to go big or small for the next? Well, um, let's go small. What's small? All right. You can only choose one because there's a new movie coming out in January, though we'll see. Morbius just got pushed again, a film that I'm sure definitely exists. But that's now not coming out this month. It's been pushed back to, what, June? Something like that? I don't mm. know. Scream? Okay. Scream or Blair Witch? The Blair Witch Project, I should say, the original film. If you had to choose one kind of 90s horror film, which would you keep? Scream or The Blair Witch Project? That's interesting. I think I would keep Blair Witch Project because... Even though I know a lot of people rag on it, especially these days, I would say I feel I still feel it's pretty effective, and I think the scream kind of gimmick, as good as the first one is, gets kind of old fast. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I would choose the Blair Witch Project over Scream as well. Though I am preparing to watch the prior three—is it three films? Four films? There's four. Four. Right? Yeah, it's four. I'm going to try and work my way through. I think the first three are currently on Peacock. The fourth one, I think, is on Spectrum, which I don't know if I'm going to be able to watch it off the front of the way. But, uh, yeah, I would go Blair Witch as well. I think that's the correct answer. I mean, Scream has its moments and it's fun, but it's also kind of a meta comedy as well as a horror film. Right. Well, Blair Witch Project at times is just terrifying, and I contend it still is scary to this day. So. Well, even that latest Blair Witch film is is surprisingly effective. I, I think that doesn't give, get enough love. I agree. I agree. What do you got? All right. Oscars or Razzies? <laughs> I hate the Oscars. I hate them so much. I cannot stand what they've become. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I'm just kind of curious. Would you rather keep the Oscars or the Razzies? I would, I would have to go Oscars because every now and then you'll get things like Parasite winning, right? Mm-hmm. And it makes everything feel right again in the universe and the razzies as i've gotten older i've found that i just outright reject uh there's a lot of people who work really hard even on shit films Mm -hmm. and there's still some artistry involved and i just don't appreciate what they do as a failed artist myself i i just don't agree with it conceptually so i would go oscars even though i not a fan of the oscars and i'm still considering i i I don't think I didn't watch last year, right? I think I just played video games the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah, I don't I didn't watch last year. I just kind of kind of got the paid attention for our game. Um, you know, saw as the winners came in, but I didn't actually watch it. Yeah. Award shows suck. Yes, they do. Yeah, the worst. I saw the globes are just gonna go um basically like online. No yeah. guests, no yeah. audience, nothing. Yeah. It should be over in fifteen minutes, the way it should be. Well, let's hope so. Jeez, that thing's a nightmare, too. That thing's a train wreck every year. All right. You ready? Yeah. We're in the month of January. Okay. Consider the dead zone, the nader of the film. Whoops. There goes my microphone. The nader of the film calendar. So I got some classic January releases. I'm going to ask you to choose one, and we're going to bracket this sucker down. All right? You ready? Yep, I'm ready. All right. Taken or the gray? Both Liam Neeson, January. No, let's be. Listen, Liam Neeson, as I tweeted out yesterday, is the king, I think, of January slash February releases. Yeah. 
Take it uh, or the gray. Yeah. So uh, former host of the show, Dave was a big fan of the gray. I've actually mm. never seen the gray. So I, except uh. to be, I never, I should cl- clarify. I've never seen it beginning to end. I've seen bits and pieces of the gray. So I'm going to say taken. All right. And I feel pretty I, confident the in that is, choice. Yeah. The gray is great, but I, in the end, I got to go with Brian Mills and his particular set of skills. <laughs> Monster movies, Cloverfield or underwater. Cloverfield. Cloverfield. Think, was yeah. a January movie. Was it? Wow. Yeah, I'm going to go with Cloverfield. I think it's still pretty, really successful. Although Underwater was surprisingly enjoyable. I agree. From Dust Till Dawn or Hostel? From Dust Till Dawn. Easy. I'm not a huge fan of torture porn. And, you know, screw you, Hostel, for, for subjecting us to that and bringing that to the world. <laughs> Before Sunrise or Waiting for Guffman? Before Sunrise. Mm. I love Waiting for Guffman, but I think that's the correct answer. Soderbergh's Haywire featuring Gina Carano. I don't know that name. Or uh, Zero Effect with Bill Pullman and uh, Ben Stiller. Uh, I guess Haywire because I don't think I've ever seen Zero Effect. Oh, you need to rectify that. Zero Effect is awesome. Okay. And then your last one, Split, the uh, Shyamalan film. Yeah. Or that vampire movie that I don't think is that good, but a lot of people seem to like it, Daybreakers with Ethan Hawke. Oh yeah, that was a, that was a deep cut from the show. I remember watching that with Espo for yeah. for the show. Um, yeah, I go with Split. I think I'd go with Split for sure. All right, Taken or Cloverfield? Yikes! I feel like the more the right answer is Taken, but I'm gonna go with Cloverfield. I'm gonna go with my heart on this one. That is wrong. It would be Taken <laughs> from Dust Till Dawn or Before Sunrise. From Dust Till Dawn. Also the wrong answer, but I'm going with my gut on this one. Thank you. Haywire or Split? Split. Easy. All right. I got three left. I'm not quite sure how to do this now. <laughs> so you you didn't make an even bracket? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. That's fine. We'll just do it this way then. Pick out of the three. Cloverfield from Dust Till Dawn or Split? Uh, I, I guess I got to go with Cloverfield. Surprisingly enough. I'm surprised. Hmm. I don't know where I would end up. I'd follow pretty close with you on that, though. I probably would have selected Taken over Cloverfield. Okay. And the romantic in me would want to end up with Before Sunrise. Yeah. But I think in the end, out of all of these films, the one I've enjoyed the most, one I've watched the most is Taken. Right. Okay. So. Fair enough. So the split is really at the actual choice. Like we, that's where we differ. There you go. Mm-hmm. Very good. <laughs> All right, so there's big doings of transpiring, big rumors out there for DC. I, I texted Chris, and he got back to me like a day later about uh, how he was not, he was not impressed with the rumors. He he has taken all that with a huge grain of salt, mm. but it got me thinking. All right, it's because Chris is an '80s kid. Keaton Batman or Bale Batman, and this is true. Call it. The other one doesn't exist. Oh boy. <laughs> Wow. So I still love Batman Returns. My still my favorite. Well, you know what? I don't know if that's true anymore. For the longest time, that Batman Returns suit was my favorite because mm. it looked more armory, like armor, you know. Um, and that's a Batman that kills people, folks. So I don't want to hear it. Michael Keaton's Batman killed a lot of people. Blew up a whole factory with the uh, bad guys in it. Don't forget. It's true. Um, ba, 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 da, ba, ba, ba. I, 
Good question. I think in the end, The Dark Knight is the best is the best film out of all of those. Yeah. So I think I have to go with Bale. But that's not you're asking me. You're asking me who the best Batman is, right. Christian Bale or Michael Keaton. And though I do adore how Christian Bale developed a lisp by that second film with his Batman <laughs> voice. Um I'm gonna go Keaton. I am. I don't know why, but uh, yeah. in the end, I think I got that's that was my youth. I was 14 when Batman came out. I watched it's the first time I saw a movie more than once in the theaters. Really? And I would bike to my movie theater in Meriden, Connecticut, just to go watch that thing. All right. About five miles away. But uh, yeah, no, I guess I gotta go Keaton. Where would you go? Yeah, if we're going, if we were choosing the films themselves, I would go with the Bale Batmans. But I think if as an actual portrayal of Batman, I think Keaton is better because Bale's voice and affectations and the ill-fitting cowl with his duck lips all the time is just ridiculous. I just can't. I can't take it seriously while I'm watching it. But he's a much better, he's a much better Bruce Wayne. Yeah, I, that's probably fair. And how great, though, is that scene in the beginning of Batman Returns when Michael Keaton just sitting in a chair in his library in the dark and the bat single signal goes up and then it goes, bounces from mirror to mirror to mirror yeah. until it shows up in the library and he stands up and does his side look. Oh, <laughs> I cannot wait. Listen, I don't think that the whole... I think entirely possible that Keaton will play elder Batman mm. in films to come. I think it's entirely possible. I just don't know if I buy 100% that that Flashpoint is going to reset the timeline and wipe out Ben Affleck's Batman in some capacity mm. or whatever the case may be. I don't know. I, like I said, I don't trust Grace Randolph in a thing she says. There's no point to. She lies about this stuff all the time. Right. So I, I don't know. I'm interested to see what happens, but um, we'll have to see. What about overall then, Matt? Who would be... I still think I think the best Batman. I, I have to. I think it is Ben Affleck. I yeah. really. I'm surprised to hear myself say that, but in the end, I think he was the best Batman. Bruce Wayne, uh, yeah. But his Batman nailed it. I think. Yeah, I think he as as Batman. I think he is the best. I think uh, even the choreography, the fight choreography of that Batman is by far the best. Um, it's just uh, sucks that it uh, never really worked out for him. I'll be curious. I mean, I don't know if any of this stuff as Elder Batman, you know, in the new DCEU, but I think that'd be a bold step to to kind of forego Batman altogether and and have uh, Batgirl kind of be your, your main Bat person, if you will. Well, I guess in the DCEU, yeah, we're still going to have Matt Reeves' Batman trilogy. Mm-hmm. So it's not like we won't be getting Batman, but um, yeah. No, I mean, and why not? If you're going to have a, a running set of films, why not do something different? Yeah. In the, uh, I don't know. What yeah, but I, I feel like then they, I would hope they would bring in Robin too so we could get Nightwing for God's sakes. Nightwing, should we should definitely get Nightwing. At the very least, we should get an HBO. Well, you know, we do. He's on Titans. He is on Titans, which I don't which watch. Is a sh- yeah, me neither. I watched, I tried watching one episode. I watched, no, two episodes, Didn't wasn't impressed with it. And then tried again like a year later, which was earlier this year. And I watched five episodes and then fell away from it. And I hadn't thought about it till just now. Right. And that, sh- that series, what's this, four seasons? Five seasons of that now? They've yes, announced? Crazy. That thing's still rolling. I, I guess good for those people. I'm glad they got jobs. But man, we'll see what happens this year. 
if I would be surprised now though if Batman gets pushed back. Reeves's film. You think so? It's pretty late. It's in March. Well, Morbius was supposed to come out what in two weeks? Yeah, but they're thinking they're not. I don't think that's because of COVID. I think that's because Spider Man's doing so well. And they're like, oh really? I thought it was COVID. No, I think the, the the prevailing thought with Morbius is from Sony is like, we're making all this money with Spider-Man. Let's kind of like ride this train as long as we can. Cause it just, and just keep it on the big, on the IMAXs and on a lot of screens and not try and cannibalize ourselves with Morbius and kind of push it back more. Huh? I was not aware of that. Interesting. I think you're making that up. You're a big <laughs> well, I think that's, that's the, that's the, the rumor mill, you know, um, that they don't believe it's because of COVID. Okay. Interesting. Good times. All right, folks. What do you think? What are your call-its? What are your answers? Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirsttoron.com. Coming up next week, Matt, Tragedy of Macbeth is on the horizon. Uh, there's still there's that film, and there's one more I want to see, which is Drive My Car, which is not is coming here to the Tampa Bay area in two weeks. Okay. And then at some point, we can do our top 10 of the year if we want to wait that long. I'm not sure. The problem is I looked up Drive My Car for you in Connecticut, and I found nothing. Yeah. So I don't know if that's going to change at all. I don't know. We'll have to see. Well, there's Come On, Come On, too. We haven't seen that either for the show. It's supposed to be that's really true. good. That's true. Well, we can slot that in then for the second film next week. Why don't we do okay. that? Okay. Because we didn't have one in yet. Um, we still got to get something together, Matt. Maybe we can try this weekend to do a live stream to plot the calendar out. To set okay. what we're going to do for uh, marathons. Uh, we'll work out the beats on that off air. In the meantime, check us out on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Do a search for the first run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually you'll find us. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. Uh, it'll uh, help us out. Other people will find the show and we'll read it on the air. And then uh, I guess that's going to be it this week, Matt. We'd say um, your stinger. I went double. Da- I doubled down on Betty White this week, Matt, for your stinger. So um, uh, a true legend and somebody who smartly, I think, liked animals more than people. So good for you. <laughs> In the meantime, everybody take care of yourselves. Get vaccinated. Get that booster. We love you. We'll see you soon. Take care. I haven't broken any laws. Oh, but you have, ma'am. You lied to us. That could be obstruction of justice. A man has been killed in part because he's silence. I could make out a charge of reckless endangerment. And I'm sure Peter would be annoyed at how you treat your cows. The reason I lied, if I told you the truth, you'd hunt it down and kill it. Which seems to be exactly what you're trying to do. How long have you been feeding this thing? Six years. Six years? Well, Bernie was out fishing and it followed him home. So we threw it some scraps. Well, he didn't seem to bother anybody. He became kind of like a, a pet who lives in the wild. He just appeared. You have no idea how he arrived here. No, do you? Well, your husband burned. You didn't by any chance lead him to the lake blindfolded. If I had a dick, this is where I'd tell you to suck it. <laughs> <laughs>